They're all different. <laughs> Would you turn with me to Galatians 3? We're going to just read a few verses in Galatians 3, 3 and then into Galatians 4. Not dealing with 4, but it's obvious why, uh, why we're reading it. It's the portion on children. And then we're going to look at Galatians 3 where it explains why there's a problem for some people being called the children of God. You understand what I'm saying? So let's read it first. That's the most important thing. We start reading at verse uh, 26. And then we can rejoice in these verses as we unpack them in a moment. <clears throat> you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ have been clothed have clothed yourselves with Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus if you belong to Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise what i am saying is that as long as the heir is a child he is no different from a slave although he owns the whole estate he is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Glad about that? I am. Praise God. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also into an heir. The Lord be praised. Well, let's have a look at it going to have it up on the screen i hope the font is the right sort of size you know when you go to different churches and even in our own church we've got a screen sort of this size in the main hall and this size in the small hall and you have to adjust accordingly so if it's big i'm sorry if it's small it's time you started wearing glasses <laughs> all right you know when god created the world the bible says he said it was good when he created mankind or humanity, he said it was very good. When he designed salvation, which was done before that, Hebrews said it was so great. So great. So great because it met God's requirement. This morning there is hope for you because of what Jesus did. It's, it met his requirement. It met his requirement for sin. And it's available to every one of us. It's so great because it covers the whole of eternity. God can save and will save us for that if we come to him. It's so great because nothing else can compare with it. This is what Jesus said in John 1.12. To all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives them the right to become 
or called the children of God. It's by faith. We are children of God by faith, by putting our trust in Jesus. Then when you read the early part of Galatians 3, you read this, it starts like this. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has, as it were, misled you, charmed you into thinking something that's not true? I'm sure you've already dealt with this really and I just remind you of it this morning. The Galatians had become attracted by the idea that religious traditions, those of the Jews, could actually make their salvation even greater than it was. (laughs) Paul didn't agree and he called it another gospel, a false gospel. In other words, We know the scripture, if you're a good evangelical, you know the scripture from Ephesians. It's not of works. It's not what we can do. It's what he has done. That's how we are saved. And so the Galatians were almost saying, yes, it's because of what God has done, but I can add to that. I can make it even better. It's another gospel, says Paul. I want to say to you this morning, that that principle applies throughout the whole of our lives. It is still by faith that we live for Jesus Christ. Now I trust that you are serving him, I trust that you are living your life pleasing to him, but it's not what you do that will keep you. Let me give you the scripture. Galatians uh, chapter 2 and 20, again you will have looked at this. The life I live in the body, that's now, (laughs) I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm here this morning because of my trust in Jesus. You're here this morning. He's kept you this week because you've trusted him when you've had difficulty and, and so on and you've put your confidence in him. So Paul goes on in the early part of this chapter of Galatians to say, look, stop and think for a minute. Verse 2, did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by doing what you do or by hearing it and obeying it? Did you you receive from God because of what you've done or because you put your your trust and your faith in God? (laughs) The answer is obvious. That's why he calls them foolish because they had been misled. He said... Have you suffered for nothing? Verse 4. You see, these Christians, Christianity in the first century wasn't that easy. The moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you were persecuted. You suffered. There was prejudice against those who belonged to the way, as they called it in those days. And Paul says, look, you've gone through all that. You've gone through it because you put your faith in God. If now you are foolish and looking in other ways, was it worth it? Was there any point? You've received miracles. You've received new life. You've you've enjoyed the life of God. But now you're throwing it all away. And Galatians makes that clear that they were in danger of losing it all. You know, new ideas are not always the best. 
especially if there are ulterior motives behind them. For the Jews, we call them Judaizers, those who wanted to maintain the things of the Old Testament instead of trusting in Jesus, they just did not want to give them up. And so these new ideas really were instigated by them and by their desires. But it's the same down through the centuries. Remember the story of Luther, the great reformer who nailed that message on the cathedral door by faith alone. There was reaction by those who thought otherwise. You know, down through the centuries in church history, every time God has moved, every time God has brought a clarification, it's not a new idea, it's a clarification from the scriptures, people suffered. William Booth was thrown out of the Church of England. So was Wesley. You know, the early Pentecostals, it seems a long time ago now. I, the rumour is that I was there, but I wasn't. I'm not that old, not quite. But you know, the early Pentecostals, I've lived through the generation where those old Pentecostals lived. I've heard them saying how they weren't allowed to go to the church that they'd been to for years because God had blessed them. You know, I've lived through the 80s of the charismatic renewal. And in all honesty, the traditional Pentecostals could have done it a lot better. It's natural within us that we, we, and when new ideas and new things come, check it out in the book. And if it's right and proper, then God may be speaking into your life. So that's the introduction. I haven't been too long with it. But uh, that's the introduction. That's really where we are coming from. And if you want a text or a, a, a coat hanger for this chapter, it's found in chapters, in verse 6, two words. Paul says, consider Abraham. Very, very clever, Paul was. Because Abraham, the Jews considered, was their father. They were children of Abraham, and Paul is now going to say, look, through faith, we are all children of Abraham. So he was really getting at them. The first thought is this. Faith came before the law. Before their traditions, faith came. The reason that Abraham was accepted as the father of the nation was not the things that he did but the faith that he had in Christ or in God. And that comes across. So he, he shares with them, and we haven't got time to go through the life of Abraham this morning. You would be bored stiff, and I don't want to do that. But there is enough in the Bible to tell us that Abraham believed God. Hebrews 11 says, by faith Abraham, and whatever he did, it was by faith. James says, Abraham believed God and he was called the friend of God. Abraham is all about faith. What is faith? You know, sometimes we think of faith as being some dynamic, wonderful thing that happens, some great miracle. 
Jesus one day was approached by a lady from Cana. And he was quite abrupt with her. He said, you know, I've come for Israel, not for you. And this was her response. Even the dogs get the crumbs from under the table. You could see what she was saying. You may not have come for me, but I believe there's something for me. I believe you. And this is what Jesus said. I haven't seen so great faith in all Israel. That's what faith really is. Taking God at his word and trusting him. And so Abraham, right in Genesis 12, I want you to go to a nation, pack your bags, pack your tent, and go to a nation that I'll show you, but I'm not telling you where it is. And the Bible says, Abraham, by faith, packed his bags and he went. He wasn't perfect and he made mistakes, but in the 15th chapter of Genesis, you, you read of Abraham, perhaps a little disillusioned because things hadn't worked out You'll have to read it up for yourselves. But God says, come outside, Abraham. Now look at the sky. You see all those stars? I'm going to make you a nation like all those stars. What a promise. He'd only forgotten one thing, thought Abraham. <laughs> I haven't got any kids. <laughs> and, and I'm rather ancient, older than I am. And his wife was way past it. There was no hope. But God promised it and he believed God. In the 17th chapter, he says, Look, Abraham, I want you to change your name to Abraham, the father of nations. And he still got no kids. But he did. He was a man of faith. We all know the story from Sunday school days, if no other, that Isaac was born. But then we move forward to Genesis 22 and lo and behold, take your son, your only son, and give him to me. You've got to read Hebrews 11 to understand why Abraham was prepared to do something that seemed wrong. Basically it says he so trusted Jesus as God that even if he, his son was sacrificed, God would raise him from the dead. It was all faith for Abraham. In fact, in verse 9 it says, he was the man of faith. And so Paul is simply saying, look, if you are children of Abraham, you've got to be children of faith. <laughs> and that's what we are this morning. So then he just moves on a little. He says, hang on a minute. When did the law come? The law came 430 years after the life of Abraham. So here you are trusting in Abraham, the man of faith, but now you're going to accept the law instead of faith. He says, what does the law do? We'll look at this in just a moment, but in general terms, it only condemns. The law makes it clear that we are sinners. In fact, in the verse 10, he says, you're under a curse as a result of sin. And putting it in very simple language, using Paul's example from, was it Romans 7? He says, you know, 
I look at my life and the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, those are the things I go and do. Isn't life like that sometimes? That's the curse. The results of sin. Why are so many youngsters going out with a knife in their pocket? It's the results of sin. They do it for protection, but in actual fact, it's to be sure that they will be better than someone else. And we all do the same. We may not carry knives, but if we get into an argument, we're always going to win, aren't we? We always want to be the one. And the law of God simply proves that we're under a curse. And he said, but hang on a minute. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. And here you are now as believers through faith in Christ. The only ones that can stand before God, the righteous ones, are those who are saved by faith. And then he uses an illustration in verse 12. He says, the just shall live by faith. It's a well-known statement. Sorry, I've got it wrong. The law is not based on faith. That, a well-known statement. But the message gave me a little bit of clarity on it. It says this, that the law perpetuates more rules. Now, I've got an illustration that the vast majority here, you can sleep for a couple of minutes. But, you know, I grew up and I've loved cricket all my life. And there is an illustration that is applicable. I'll only be a second. You know, when you play in the park, you haven't got to know much about cricket. If the ball hits your leg, instead of hitting the wickets, you're out. LBW, they call it. But if you watch Sky Sports at all, and cricket, and the analy, yes, oh, yes, when they analyse it, there's umpteen other rules. It's got to be this way, it's got to be that way, or, or there you're not. In other words, in order to clarify the law, you need more laws to explain it. Now, for the rest of you, wake up now. Jesus said the same thing. He said, you know, in the Old Testament, it said, you shall not commit murder. But I say unto you, if you hate your brother or your sister, or if you have a thought against them, you're committing the same act. Can you see the way the law requires more laws to explain it, to make it clear? That's the curse. And then we have this lovely verse in verse 14. It says, look, this is why the law is secondary to faith. Through Christ, he has redeemed us from that curse. He has become your substitute. All the wrong that you have done, all the wrong that you would do, as you have committed your life to the Lord, he died on the cross as your substitute. And therefore, trust in him and you are forgiven. He redeemed you in order, and then he brings it back to Abraham, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus. So here's Abraham, the man of faith, and now we too can experience his blessing. I've spent some time on that point. The other points aren't as long. The second thought is this. Faith 
is the covenanted way. He says, it's no good you thinking works matter instead of faith. It's the covenanted way. I said already that it's 450, 430 years. Moses brought the law 430 years later after Abraham. Well, he uses an, an illustration in verse 15. And I'll put it up there, not literally. But you imagine, I don't know if you've made a will. Christian, you are stupid if you haven't. You might never want me to come again having said that, but it's true. I know Christians who have got no children, who have got some money <laughs> and no will. And they're going to regret it. I remember when we were in Wakefield, our first church, which is, what, 35 years ago, there was a lady there. She was a widow, a farmer, a farming widow. So all the farm had come to her. And she was in her 80s. She had three children. One was a missionary. The other two were as far from God as they could be. And she would not have a will. And she died. It took the two daughters six months to blow the whole of the inheritance that that mother had got. And it didn't go Godward. It was just blown. They blew it on things that the mother had spent all her life praying against. And that's the sort of thing that happens if you don't make a will. And Paul says, when it comes to a will... Providing it has been established, if you like, it's been rubber stamped by uh, legally, you may be a recipient and you may be disappointed that all the money is going to the dog zone. But you can't do anything about it. What is written is written. And that's his second point. He said, it's all right you saying with this new idea about the law coming in and, and I'd be a better Christian, but God has already declared that it's faith in Christ by which you are saved. That's how you become a child of God. And whether you like it or not, that's the way. And that's his second argument. And then he explains, he says, look, let's really get to the bottom of the grips of it. What is the law what is the your own efforts and he gives three reasons very quickly i missed a little bit out haven't i go on can you put it up to jake uh, jack. It's jack the next one that's the summary of that i want you to get hold of by faith we are saved it's really by faith by our trust in christ that we are kept every day and even the works that we do are by faith because they are, they are works related to our relationship with Christ. Because I belong to Christ, Jesus said, because you love me, you will do what I say. It's not saying you will do what I say in order to be a Christian. It's saying because you love me, because you've got a relationship. Friends, it's all about faith. So now I'll just share with you this little bit about the law. And it will perhaps become more clear for you. Three reasons why the law is inferior. Three reasons why these Christians were wasting their time trying to keep the law. Number one, 
Why did the law come in the first place? The law was never given to save us. Now, there are some Christians that still propound that, but the Bible makes it abundantly clear. The law of God was never intended to save us. You know, I don't know if there's a 20-mile zone outside the school. There usually is. That's not there to give you a thrill car ride, is it? It's there to protect you. It's there to, as it were, regulate society. Why do we have rules and regulations in our society? It's so that we keep peace with one another. We get on. And that is why God gave the social law, in particular, to the children of Israel. It was never there to save us. Secondly, it was a temporary arrangement. He uses this phrase, until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. In other words, until Jesus comes. In the 24th verse, he says this, the law is simply to lead us to Christ. It's temporary. And thirdly, it needs an intermediary. It needs a priest. You remember when, <coughs> when the, the lepers were healed by Jesus? The first words of Jesus was, go show yourself to the priest. Because that's what the law required. The law required a priest. I love Hebrews. I'm studying it at the moment. And it starts, God has spoken to us in the Old Testament by priests, by prophets, by great men of God. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. When Jesus came, we have the complete revelation. So the question has to be asked, is it necessary? Should we throw the Old Testament away? Paul said, no, definitely not. Jesus said the same, didn't he, in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't think I have come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, to pack it full. So everything that God has done through the centuries fits in with Jesus. That's why he pays the price on the cross. He says basically, before the cross, before our faith in the cross, the law was there like a guardian to us. You know what a guardian is? To look after us as we are growing up. He goes on to say that really in the fourth chapter, which I'm not going to deal with, that, you know, while you are a minor, there's no difference between you and a slave in the sense that you're spoon-fed, you're looked after, you're taught. But the day comes when you become a, a grown-up, if you like. Because Jesus met all the requirement of the law on the cross, that's when we grow up, when we put our trust in him. You're no longer under the need of the law, it says in the 25th verse. We'll have the next picture up. I want to take you back. I know school's not like this anymore. I hope not anyway. But some of you are old enough to be sat there thinking, I know what, that's <laughs> I know what that uh, cane felt like. <laughs> or are you goody-goodies over here? I don't know. 
But I want to take you back to school because the authorised version uses the phrase, the Lord is like our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. When I was at school, I loved maths and sciences and the applied sciences. My biggest problem was English. Perhaps you can tell that now, I don't know. But I just could not get my O-level English. You can tell how long it is, me talking in terms of O-levels. GCSEs now, right? <laughs> and I wanted to be a civil engineer. And I knew, well, I left school, still hadn't got that English. Had no problem with the other subjects. But English was such a problem to me. And I was told, unless you get your English, you'll never make it. You'll never become professional. I passed my English pretty quickly then at college, but that's another story. But now, 40 years, 50 years later, 50 years later, I wouldn't dream of going back to school because I didn't pass the English. I have learned through life the number of reports and, and things that I've had to do for committees and so on. The sermon preparation for 40 years. The, the, I've even written a little book and we're writing another one at the moment just within Bilston. Not, it's been published but only within Bilston. But when I look back and think about those things, I wouldn't have to go back to school now. I have learned through life those things that I didn't get at school. It was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Now we're with Christ. And he has taught us many things. We've passed that by. That's the picture that Paul is saying in Galatians. You don't have to go back. You're past there. My final, that makes you a true child of God. In fact, it says the full rights in the fourth chapter of the children of God. My final little thought is this. I'm sorry it's a bit Bible study, but that's what they asked me to do, so uh, bear with me. The third thought that I have is this. Faith results in liberty. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, verse 26, you are all sons of God through Jesus Christ. I I'm so glad this morning. It's liberating to me. doesn't matter my background or yours. It doesn't matter whether I've done things wrong or whether I've been a goody two-shoes. It doesn't matter whether I'm intellectual or thick. None of those things matter. As I have put my trust in Jesus Christ, I am a son and a daughter of Jesus Christ. There's no difference. That's wonderful to me. It's liberating. Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And I trust that you can say amen to the truth of that this morning. The faith that we have in what Jesus did on the cross is liberating. It really is. And then we have the conclusion in verse 28, this lovely verse. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. That's what the Bible declares. We've all got the same father. We all belong to the same family if we have put our trust in Jesus Christ on the cross. There are no rules that make you inferior to me 
or more likely be inferior to you. And you know there are Christians around like that, aren't there? That will talk to you as though you are a little bit inferior. You're not quite to the standard that I'm at. Friends, the Bible doesn't teach that at all. It doesn't matter whether you are a child who was born again or an old person who was born again. God can use each to speak to each other. That is so wonderful. It's all the result of faith. Let me conclude. You see, the warning to the Galatians, and therefore to us, is that we should never become regulated again by the traditions of men. I'm a child of God, live as a child of God. Never again should you have to do something that might merit your standing in the church of Jesus Christ. Now I believe that all of us should be doing good works. The Bible tells us in Ephesians that that's why he saved us. But that those works are not to merit our salvation. They are there to show our relationship with God. So I, when I came with the conclusion, I thought, well, does it happen today? And I thought, well, I've been around a long time. Let me just think of my own experience. Some of you will relate to one or two of these things. I'm only listing them, I'm not explaining. Some of you will relate to them. Some of you will think, well, that's stupid. I've never been in church and that's happened. I assure you all these things have. You know, there was a time when only men could administer the communion. And you'd got to wear a suit and a tie in order to do it. That was the rule. I can remember a church, not in this area, but a very big church, well-known church in our movement, who allowed drums but only for three choruses. You remember the chorus sessions we used to have? They could play the drums for three choruses, but if you had a fourth chorus, they'd got to get off. Because they might be getting too worldly. I can remember that same church, and these are true, I can assure you. They had missionaries, I better not say where they were, around the world. And those missionaries used to come back with a cine camera, as it used to be in those days, evidence of the work of God. But they couldn't show them in the church because that would be like a cinema. Can you believe it? I can remember you'd got to pass a course in discipleship before you could be baptised. I can remember... If you wanted to be on the leadership of the church or on the oversight, it didn't apply to pastors. That's where he got so stupid. But you've got to be an elder. That meant you've got to be old. And of course, you'd got to be male. You couldn't be female. And people would leave the church over such issues. Friends, these things do still happen. And I would dare to say, that there are still rules and regulations that we fall into the trap of, all of us. Let me finish with this. In our church at Bilston, we've been there five years, just as members, since I retired. <coughs> we've, got a, we've got a lot of nationalities. 
18 on one occasion. I can't say we've got 18 in the church because it varies. We have some uh, asylum seekers. There's a centre in Bilston and they tend to come to us and we provide them with food and all this sort of thing. So some of those, so they come and go. You know, and in lovely faithful people, the moment they, they get their uh, permission to stay in the country, they go down London. That's the usual thing. And we've had some do that. But we've got approximately 18 nationalities. Some of those people have come from all sorts of strands of Christianity in their own country. Some of them, of course, have found Jesus in Bilston. We do have some traditional Pentecostals that have been around a few years, like me, but not too many. We do have visitors who come just to see what's going on. I tell you, it's a challenge. Because they, everybody comes with the baggage of what we've been talking about this morning. But I want to give you a positive, it's also exhilarating, that God can take someone from the other side of the world who can become a blessing to me. That God can take someone from the far side of the world who can lead a person in Bilston to Christ. The church of Jesus Christ is a wonderful place to be. We are children of God. It's through faith in Christ and no other. And Paul's conclusion is my conclusion. And I'm going to sit down now. I've said enough. Verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. If you like, you carry the spiritual gene of Abraham. And that spiritual gene is faith. Never underestimate your trust in Jesus Christ. Never underestimate the fact that you may not understand it all, but you believe God. Because he's done so much for you. You're a child of the king. And nothing can improve on that. And that's the truth of Galatians 3.